You may be seated. Are you bound for the promised land? If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're bound for the promised land. We're starting a new sermon series today, if you have not figured that out yet. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. As we spent some time in the New Testament with Philippians, and now we'll go to the Old Testament and look at uh, this book. Deuteronomy. Renewal notices are just part of life. From my Table Talk and World Magazine subscription renewals to insurance policies, and yes, the month of August is, is such an important month in the life of the Reed household, that is when I get my termite renewal policy for my home. And yes, this August I renewed it, and I don't have termites. Renewal notices and renewing is simply part of our life living here on this earth. But it's also part of our life living in covenant with God. Last Lord's Day, we observed the Lord's Supper. And though we can say many things about the Lord's Supper, certainly chief among the things we would say about the Lord's Supper is that it is a covenant renewal service. So the first Sunday of every month, it's a regular part of the life of covenant. We come before the table to be reminded, actually for God to remind us of his covenant commitment to us as his people and for us to renew covenant faithfulness to him. We find parts of scripture focused on God's people renewing the covenant. Joshua 8 is one example. Nehemiah 9 is another example. Well, what does covenant renewal have to do with the book of Deuteronomy? And our goal today is to answer that question by looking at the framework or structure of the book as a whole. And then most of our time will be spent looking at the first five verses, which we should understand is a preamble. And I'll explain that term a little bit later. But before we read the passage this morning, this is the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 1, I want to just remind us of a few facts about the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in a series of five books. In fact, the first five books of the Bible that form the Pentateuch. Moses is the author of these first five books. With Deuteronomy being the last book, we should understand the words we find as Moses' last words to the people that he has led these many years, 40 plus years, from bondage in Egypt to the foot of Mount Sinai, wandering about the desert, and finally to Moab, just east of the Jordan River. One additional important fact is the entire book of Deuteronomy is a book written to God's people beyond the Jordan that is on the east side, a people not yet crossing over and taking possession of the promised land. Well, what are some other facts about Deuteronomy? The date of it is roughly 1400 B.C. Some would date it 
1220 B.C., so there's some discrepancy about that. But I've always taken the date of about 1400, just before the conquest, that is the events of the book of Joshua. And the book, interestingly, is a series of three sermons. Three sermons that Moses preached. And then the book ends with two songs. So yes, Moses was a preacher and a songwriter. And lastly, just facts about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of the most Old Testament books quoted in the New Testament. And the two New Testament writers that quote Deuteronomy more than any other would be Jesus. In fact, the first quotation of Deuteronomy is by Jesus in the wilderness right after his baptism. And then secondly, the Apostle Paul. Now let's pray and then let's get into these first five verses as we read God's word together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that even as we've already sung with our first two hymns, as we've been reminded through the hymns before and after corporate confession of sin, that you have gathered us to be your people, that you've established the covenant with us, that Jesus is the mediator of that covenant, that we have everything for which to hope. We have a great and glorious future, but we do fail. And I pray today that you would remind us of the importance, indeed the necessity, of regular covenant renewal in the life of us as individuals, as families, and as a church. So work your word in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Take your Bibles, turn there. These, excuse me. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel, Laban and Hazaroth and Disahab. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth and in Edria, beyond the Jordan, in the, lab of, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, and you've got to come back. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. It is perfect. Do you believe that? Do you believe that these five verses are perfect? That God intends to revive the soul? And may God's word revive our souls this morning. And so we want to begin by looking at the framework or the structure of the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. When I study scripture, I come to a given text, be it a verse or a passage or a chapter or a book, and I read it in, in light of a framework. And what is that framework? That framework is a reformed and covenantal perspective on scripture. 
That's the presupposition that I have as I come to Scripture. And by the way, do not let anyone tell you, I come to God's Word with nothing in my mind. Well, they may come to God's Word with nothing in their mind, but they, they have to come with presuppositions. We all have presuppositions. We do not study God's Word in a vacuum. And the framework that I employ that helps me understand a particular verse in light of the whole of Scripture is Reformed and Covenantal theology. Well, one framework for understanding the entire book of Deuteronomy is to see the structure of Deuteronomy following an ancient Hittite treaty form. I'm going to explain that a little bit. You all know covenant is central to understanding the scriptures, and the book of Deuteronomy has the same form that these ancient covenants had. If you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and verses 1 through 17, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, follows this same Hittite treaty form, sometimes called a suzerainty treaty form. And the suzerain, the great king, Ten Commandments, God, binds lesser kings or vassal nations to an agreement, to the stipulations of a covenant. And we find that Deuteronomy, as a book, follows the structure and form of these ancient treaties. So here are the six parts of ancient treaties. The first is the preamble. It's what we're looking at today. It identifies the speaker and the audience. It kind of sets the stage for what is going to take place. Secondly, the historical prologue. Next week, we'll dive into the historical prologue. Rest assured, we're not going to study every single verse in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to select passages, but I think it's important for us to understand the structure and the basic flow of Deuteronomy, but we will look at specific passages about the historical prologue that details the relationship the suzerain has had with these vassals that are being bound by the covenant. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, that would be Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, all the way through the end of chapter 4. And then we find in these ancient treaties stipulations, that is, these general and specific regulations that define the relationship. And we find all kinds of stipulations in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through Deuteronomy 6 and verse 19. And of course, there's the section called blessings and curses. If you obey me, the suzerain would say, you'll be blessed in this way. And if you disobey me, you will be cursed in this way. And most of these ancient treaties had a ratification ceremony that involved a self-maledictory oath where the one being bound would slaughter a bunch of animals and say, if I violate this covenant, may I be slaughtered like this. We actually see this in Genesis chapter 15. Read that today and see if you can pick out the covenant ratification ceremony with this smoking fire pot and cauldron and passing through these animal pieces that Abraham had cut in half. It's a really interesting study. So there are blessings and curses, chapter 27, verse 1, through chapter 28, verse 68. Then there's a document clause, the covenant 
being read periodically, the disposition of the covenant, and then finally witnesses. What made this covenant binding was that it was something that was done publicly and there were witnesses. And yes, Deuteronomy includes that too. Chapter 32, verses 1 through 47. In fact, all this is listed on the website, a little blog I wrote about our new sermon series. You can go there and it lists all of these aspects of the covenant. But we'll basically be following this, this treaty form as we work our way through Deuteronomy and taking selected passages that represent each of these categories to see what God has for us with regards to his covenant relationship. And that's the point. The very structure and framework of the book points us to the purpose of the book. And the purpose has to do with the covenant that God has established with us. And we want to get into that now as we look at the preamble. Because I think in the preamble, the first five verses, we find the purpose for Deuteronomy. The purpose that God has for us in reference to the covenant that he has established with us as his people. So secondly, the preamble. You know, Ray and I, we watch series on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever the streaming service is you have. And a lot of these series kind of follow a similar pattern. You'll see one episode, like a subsequent episode, and it'll say previously on. Have you heard that state? Previously on. Then it goes back and it kind of briefly recaps what happened in, in, in the episodes leading up to that current episode. Just to give you an idea of who was involved and what, what took place. So previously, we might take the prelude as Moses saying, previously in the life of Israel, he's giving us the backdrop, he's, he's recapping what has happened very briefly, in the history of Israel. Now, what we find in this preamble is a couple of interesting, we can find a lot of interesting things. The first interesting thing is this, that the speaker is identified. In fact, the text tells us, these are the words of Moses, verse 1. Yet, in verse 3, Moses spoke according to all that the Lord had given him. Verse 3, so as a prophet, Moses, in fact, Moses is understood as the model prophet, the paradigm of all human prophets. Moses represented God. Moses spoke God's word to God's people. And so though verse 1 identifies Moses as the speaker, verse 3 helps us understand that more fully in that actually God is the speaker. In other words, God is the one identified as the covenant maker. God is the one identified as the suzerain who is going to bind the vassal to keep these stipulations. God is the speaker. But what about the audience? We also see the preamble telling us about that. In verse 1, all Israel. In verse 3, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. But exactly who were the people of Israel? You may say, well, damn, that's a silly question, the people of Israel. But it's very important that we understand what has happened in the past, previously. See, we, we have to understand that in order to understand to whom Moses spoke there in Horeb, just east of the Jordan River, which is the geographical context 
of this portion of Deuteronomy. And so we look at the chronology. The audience is identified really as the children of the generation that was at Horeb. And whenever you see Horeb mentioned in Deuteronomy, it means Mount Sinai. It's that general region of which Mount Sinai is a part. So Horeb could be replaced by Mount Sinai. So these are the children of that generation that was at the foot of Mount Sinai 40 years previously. And that Horeb generation, that original generation, stayed at the foot of Mount Sinai for about a year as they had received the law, they had received the book of the law. The law and the book of the law would be the basis for God's covenant relationship with his people. Then in Numbers chapter, chapter, or yeah, chapters 10 through 12, we learn that after a year, they journeyed from Horeb or Sinai to Haran and to an oasis that goes by the name Kadesh Barnea, the very southern border of Canaan. And in verse 2, we find that this journey from Horeb, Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, just on the southern border of the Promised Land, we could say, only took 11 days. 11 days journey, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. Once they got to Kadesh Barnea, Numbers chapter 13 tells us that, that God instructed Moses to choose 12 tribal leaders and send them as spies into the Promised Land to spy out the land and to spy out the people and to bring back a report. In doing so, Moses was not thinking, well, they may bring back a bad report. He was thinking, no, God has given us this land. We're going to take it, but we want to do so wisely. So let's know about the land and let's know about the people. I think they traveled some 225 miles, has been calculated by some scholars. So they spent some time in the promised land. Well, you know the story. They brought back a report, Numbers 13, Numbers 14, and the report was bad. They said, no way, the people are too great, we can't go in. Yeah, God's promised this, but it's too great for us. So what happened? Numbers 13, God judged them. Numbers 13, verse 31, God says, the people rebelled against me. Numbers 14, verses 29 through 30, we read this, your dead bodies, talking to that generation, that generation that received the law of the foot of Mount Sinai a year earlier, God through Moses said, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness and all your number listed in the census for 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua. Numbers 14. When we look at just the the preamble and certainly when we look at numbers we see an unbelievable contrast we see the contrast noted in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 2 of an 11 day journey and then we see the contrast that is noted in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 3 of 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness 11-day journey heading south to north to take possession of the promised land versus a 40-year wandering from a focus northward to the promised land to going through the 
Arabah Wilderness south, even back around the vicinity of Horeb, and finally back up. Not a direct route, but a very <laughs> indirect route. I'm sure they had Google Maps back then. They actually had a cloud and a pillar, uh, or a fire, didn't they? Up to the east side. What a contrast. God's promise, take it. Rebellion, lack of faith. Next week, we'll look at faith really being the very root of obedience. They were so close. They were so close to realizing the promise. And yet, they lacked faith and they rebelled. One of my seminary professors, Meredith Klein, who's now with the Lord, wrote in his great work on Deuteronomy, the treaty of, a, of the great king, the covenant structure of Deuteronomy, this. Both the direction of approach to Canaan and the length of the wandering spoke of a history of covenant breaking and of a postponed inheritance. There is thus an interesting contrast between the preamble's look south from Moab into the past of failure and curse, and Moses' closing look north from Moab into Israel's future of fulfillment and blessing. And Klein reminds us that we need to think back. We, we need to consider previously. We need to remember the backstory, and the backstory to the book of Deuteronomy is a rebellious generation previously and previously in this context represents largely failure but something interesting happens that we'll consider next week or the week after I can't remember now but at some point it's noted here in verses 3 and 4 that as Israel is rebellious and now under God's judgment and suffering the curse of violating God's covenant promises, lacking faith, we find that they actually had these victories that are noted in verses 3 and 4. And you can go to Numbers chapter 21 to get a fuller account of these victories. And it's just a, so in the midst of rebellion and failure, there are these little glimpses into this reality that we will consider next week that when God's people have faith and they obey there is blessing in the midst of failure there were periods of faithfulness and they were blessed and so now the current generation is there east of the Jordan River they this new generation has has been raised up and Moses wants them to have immense hope as they stand there on the bank of the Jordan as we sang just moments ago and gaze over into the promised land that there will be future fulfillment and blessing for God's people. So Numbers 14 really sets the stage for us. Numbers 14 verse 31, but your little one, speaking to that Horeb generation, that rebellious generation, but your little ones who said, 
who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land you have rejected. They shall know the land you have rejected. Future fulfillment and blessing for this new generation. Oh my, what hope they had as they gazed across the Jordan into the land. And this brings us to the last aspect of the preamble, really as we just just simply look at what is this book all about? Verse 5 tells us it, it is about Moses undertaking to explain the law to them. And so how are we to understand the law as we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and in Deuteronomy as a whole? I just want to make a comment about the title Deuteronomy. It's, it's just a bit misleading. The Old Testament scriptures were translated into the Greek in the mid-third into the second century B.C. So just 200 B.C. just is a rough date. And when the supposed 70 translators, that's why the Septuagint is sometimes understood in the Roman numeral LXX, when the 70 translator apparently translated Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18 that reads in the NIV a copy of this law, they used a Greek phrase, Deuteronomion Tauto, meaning second law. And so some began thinking, well, maybe the book of Deuteronomy is a whole nother set of laws that God is giving us through Deuteronomy. And so the title is just a bit misleading. The title should not be taken to mean a second law, new law is given here in the book. But in actuality, as the law is foundational to God's covenant with his people, Deuteronomy is a renewal of the law given at Sinai in preached form, as one commentator put it. Moses is preaching renewal. He's expounding the law and preaching renewal. Wood says the best way to understand Deuteronomy is it is a covenant renewal document. That's the purpose of Deuteronomy. And we see that in the structure. The structure goes in the form of a covenant treaty. And here the purpose is for the covenant to be renewed. So in Deuteronomy, Moses focuses on explaining this law. You see that in verse 5. We could, we could say that, that Moses, in explaining this law, in expounding this law, is expounding and explaining the covenant itself. To explain the law, Moses means, I want you to understand it clearly. Deuteronomy is not merely a, a repetition of Sinai's law, but it is a, an exposition as Moses preaches the law, but he also preaches it in a way for the people to apply it as they enter this new situation in Canaan. So many of us know about Reform University Fellowship, RUF. It's our campus ministry. And, and one of the things that 
RUF has taught its campus ministers over the years and the students that have been a part of RUF is that RUF has a fixed theology and a flexible methodology. So let me take that and apply it here. Moses is preaching a fixed theology. He is preaching the law, the truth, not the law that is relativized to fit a cultural situation. He's not doing that. He is preaching the law. He is preaching the covenant. Fixed theology. It doesn't change. It's true. Age from age, generation from generation. But the way that fixed theology is applied in the life of God's people may look a little different at this time or at that time. So flexible methodology. And Moses is saying, listen, people, listen, you new generation, understand, clearly understand the fixed theology, the law, the covenant. But I want to do more. I want to help you know how to faithfully live out the covenant as you cross that Jordan River and as you possess the land of Canaan. Fixed theology, flexible methodology. After 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, the Horeb generation, the rebellious generation dying out, a new generation has been raised up and they are brought right to the bank of the, the east bank of the Jordan River in Moab. Moses will soon finish his sermons sing his songs and go atop Mount Nebo and die. <laughs> Before he, I have to admit, it, at first blush, this just seems so unfair. <laughs> Moses has put up with these people for, for long, these many years, trying to get them to take possession of the land. And God says, brother, you're not going in. There's a reason for that, and it's a serious reason. Moses, only, Moses is only allowed to go up atop Mount Nebo that is beyond the Jordan and just look over and see, but he dies. But the new generation, as we know in the book of Joshua, will cross the Jordan, and they will take possession of the land. Though you know Israel's history, not fully, there's failure even with the new generation. Can you believe it? Covenant renewal constantly because of our failure, our lack of faith in the promises of God. So what's the takeaway today? I hope none of you are thinking, oh my goodness, 20 sermons on Deuteronomy, it's going to be a yawner. I really hope you're not thinking that. Because we need to get a renewal notice. You know, most of the time when I get a renewal notice, I take that rascal, I throw it. Well, what I do is I shred the thing. I get so many renewal notices. Sometimes I get renewal notices of things I don't even sign up for. How does that happen? Have you signed me up for some stuff? <laughs> Cruel joke. I get these renewal notices, and I want to shred them. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy is a renewal notice. 
It's saying, hey, it's time for you, Christian. It's time for you, church, to renew your commitment to faithfulness to God's covenant. Remember what uh, Brandon read earlier from Hebrews chapter 12. That we're to approach God in reverence and awe. He's a consuming fire. Thankfully, Hebrews 12 also reminds us that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And so we can come before God in covenant renewal and be honest about our failure. Because he has promised never to violate his covenant with us, though we constantly fail in keeping the covenant. And so the stakes are high. That's the point I want to make today. The takeaway is this, the stakes are high. Deuteronomy is a renewal notice for God's people to renew covenant faithfulness that they might live out the covenant in the context in which God has, ta- has taken them, in the context in which God has taken us. Our only hope is that Jesus is the mediator of God's covenant with his people. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can spend this time just focused on your word, focused on this book that is unique in that the entire book is a book of covenant renewal. I pray, Father, that you might guide us and direct us to be serious and to be very diligent in in considering previously in our lives as we've experienced successes, yes, and failures, and that we would see even more what is at stake that we would be pressed to renew our covenant commitment. Certainly as we come to the Lord's Supper monthly, as we come to worship once a week, but really every day should be a a time of renewal for us as we pray and as we read your word, as we're reminded of the fixed theology and as you give us wisdom to be flexible in our methodology, that we might be faithful. We desire that, God. So work in us, not only today, but in the weeks and months to come as we study through this covenant renewal document. Bless us. Show us the importance of being in a constant spirit of covenant renewal. For your glory and for the good of your church, we pray. Amen.